thanks for joining us here today at Victory Church, where we invite people to belong before they believe. If you wanna know more about who we are and what we do, or if any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us in giving to this ministry, we invite you to do so by visiting our website at victory.church. Now, let's check out this week's message. Victory Church, how are you today? Happy Labor Day. We're so glad you guys are spending your weekend with us. God bless you. We want to welcome everybody who's joining us online, wherever you are. We're so glad you're here. Uh, my name is Adam Frederick. I am a children's pastor here. I'm also a part of the men's ministry, men of vision, men of victory. Yeah, yeah. Ne uh, breakfast next Saturday morning at nine o'clock, right down there. Let's hope you guys can make it there. It's going to be a great time of fellowship together. Um, so I'm, I'm very pleased to be with you today. Uh, I'd like to thank Pastor John for entrusting me with the opportunity to speak today and all of our leadership here at Victory. What a, what a great group of guys they are. And uh, we just love you and we thank you today. Um, I am excited to be here with you today. We're gonna be in Luke chapter 10, uh, verse 25. So if you have your Bibles, you can funnel, funnel, thumb over to that right there. Let me pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you and we praise you for all you do in our lives. Father, right now, we submit this time to you. Father, I pray that your words be spoken here, not mine, Father. I pray that we receive with the spiritual ears that you've given us, Father, that you would open our hearts to hear your voice today. Lord, that we would walk out of here with a greater understanding of your love for us. Father, I speak your blessing and your anointing upon this time. We thank you, Lord, that you are here with us. For your word says that we're two or more gathered together in your name. There you are in the midst of we know you are here, Father. We uh, ask the Holy Spirit to take control. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. Uh, Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 25. You may be familiar with this story. It's the Good Samaritan story. Um, possibly one of the most famous biblical stories um, ever, um, not only in church culture, but uh, we see it even transcend into, into secular culture. Uh, one or two times a week, you see on the news, that um, you know something bad has happened to somebody, but then a good Samaritan has stepped in. Uh, the term good Samaritan is um, synonymous with doing something good for somebody, helping somebody when it's a tragic time, those kind of things, which is great. Um, ironically, which I hope you catch this, the irony by the time I'm done today, ironically, there are some states that have a good Samaritan law uh, that, that requires you to offer aid and assistance to somebody in need and if you're any Seinfeld fans out here, you'll know that's what got him landed in jail. Spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the uh, finale of Seinfeld, I'm sorry, that's just sad. Pretty, pretty tough deal. So um, I'm excited to share this parable with you. Um, I, I think that uh, you may be sitting there going, man, we should have went to the lake. Uh, you may be thinking, good Samaritan, all right, Pastor Adam, I get it, you know, I'm gonna be nicer to people. I'm gonna go out of my way to help people. I, uh, I'll do it, I'll, yeah, fine, I'll put more money in the bucket. I just, ah, okay, I get it. It's Labor Day weekend, can you ease up a little bit? And um, I, although that's part of the story, I think it, we're gonna benefit today from seeing a little bit more of a 360 view 
which is what I hope to, to, to help you out with today um, as it was revealed to me as well. Let me set the scene just for a moment if I can. We've got this group of Pharisees, these guys that live by the letter of the law. Now these were the relig religious leaders of the day. And so they knew the law, the Torah, backwards and forwards. They taught it, they knew it, they learned it. And what they've seen recently is they've got this young rabbi that's doing these miraculous things, so they can't really ignore him. These, these crowds are following him around. They're listening to him, but, but he's doing something different. He's going to the tax collectors. He's going to the prostitutes. He's going to the sinners of the day, and he's saying, repent, believe in me, and you'll receive the kingdom of heaven. You'll inherit the kingdom of heaven. And that just did not jive well with these Pharisees. They didn't like that. They knew the law. And here's this message of grace and acceptance and peace. And it did not sit well with them. So they regularly looked for an opportunity to kind of challenge Jesus in his philosophy, in his theology, in his doctrine. And this is one of those examples. Starting at verse 25, you see this. It says, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. Now let's pause right there for just a second. Let's talk about this guy. He's a lawyer and he has given his entire life to learning the law. And no question that they mentioned that he's a lawyer because this guy was probably the best arguer of the bunch. This guy knew how to present an argument. This guy knew how to present a plan. And I think that he was strategic in what he was trying to do with Jesus. And I know that this is the way it is. I'm sure he was goaded on by the rest of the Pharisees because that's how men communicate. When men communicate, we communicate and we're establishing a hierarchy. Women, if you didn't know that, let me let you in on a little secret. If you, if you walk into a group of men and you ask one guy to tell you about the guys in the room, he'll go, oh yeah, that guy over there, he's the strongest guy. That guy over there, he's got the most money. That guy over there, he's got the coolest car. Always establishing a hierarchy. Now in contrast, women don't communicate like that. Women communicate to, to make connection, right? So if you have a lady in a group of women and you ask her to introduce the room, she'll say, oh, that's, that's Judy. Uh, yeah, we, we, we enjoy the same books. We read the same books. And that's, and that's Betty over there. We, garden, we both got gardenias coming in. It's gonna be great. And, and that's uh, Sally over there. We, we're, we're in the same neighborhood and we both serve on the PTA. They connect. Men establishing hierarchy. So I know that these Pharisees are pushing this guy. Dude, nobody argues like you. Go get him. Nobody can present a story. And this guy's got to be thinking in his mind, oh, I'm going to get him. I'm going to get him. I know what's going to happen. I'm going to go over and I'm going to ask him this question. And then I'm going to smash him over the head with the Ten Commandments in the law. I know that's, that's my own interpretation, but I, I, I think it's in there as you read it. He says, and I think I, can't, I, I hear it sarcastically in my head. It's like, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Right? Now, he uses a couple of things there. He says inherit, which tells us that he understands what Jesus is saying is that an inheritance is not something you can earn, right? It's a gift. It's bestowed upon you. That's what inheritance means. But that's not what he believed. He believed in certain things. He knew that this message that Jesus was saying about repent, this message that Jesus was saying about uh, believe in me and turn from your ways and you'll receive the kingdom of heaven, you'll receive forgiveness of your sin. Jesus has forgiven sins out here, y'all. He's like, no, 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 no. You can't have that in the law. 
I know the law and what you need is you've got to have a priest. You got to have a holy priest. You got to have a holy temple. You got to have a holy sacrifice. There are steps to forgiveness in this game and you ain't teaching that. So this lawyer is loaded for bear, as they say, and he's gonna launch this question at him, and he says that. And then Jesus says to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Whoa, this guy, <laughs> what? You firing the law back at me? You, you talking to me? You bringing the law to me? He wasn't expecting that. I believe that he was expecting, uh, believe in me, repent from your ways, and you'll receive eternal life. But he, he stammers a little bit, and he fires back the right answer. He says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Any good Jew Pharisee, that's what he's gonna do. He's gonna talk to the Shema, De Deuteronomy 6. He's gonna fire that back, and he's gonna follow back with uh, Leviticus 19. Love the neighbor, love your neighbor just as yourself. The right answer, right? And Jesus says this, yeah, that's right. Go do that, and you shall live. Now that seems very innocent, but what Jesus is saying, okay, you go and you love God every day of your life perfectly for the rest of your life and then you love your neighbor as yourself. Do those things and you'll live, right? And then this guy immediately, I know that he's rocking, I'm just thinking about what's going on in his mind. Immediately he's going back in his head and he's going, okay, my neighbor's, my neighbor's neighbor. Okay, so, so there's Daryl across the street and, and Daryl, there was that one time I put his trash cans back and that was good and we waved and we talked, we talked for a couple minutes out by the mailbox, that was great. And then there's, and then there's, there's Joe right next to me and, and Joe, his dog got into my yard one time and I called him and I said, you need to come get your dog. So that was a really neighborly thing to do. And then there's Bob, oh God, nobody likes Bob. Bob doesn't mow his yard. I tried to wave at Bob one day and he said, he just acted like he didn't even know me. Nobody likes Bob. Bob can't count. He doesn't count for anything. So this guy in his mind, he's gotta be figuring all this out. And then he says, oh, okay, well, what is neighbor? Who's your neighbor, right? Because it says to justify himself. He asked him, who is your neighbor? And then Jesus replied with this famous parable. A story that I think that Jesus is saying a lot more than what's on the text. Here's why. He starts out with a man goes down from the road from, from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, let's talk about the road for a second. Did a little research on the road. Kind of interesting. What it is, is it is a long, narrow, winding road. It's treacherous. It is set up for ambush. It is where the, the robbers is where the thieves hung out. I guarantee you, anybody who heard Jesus begin to tell this story, they automatically go, oh man, I hope that guy's packing because that is bad news road, man. That, is, that, that, that place leads the country in camel jackings. <laughs> bad things happen on that road. It is set up for ambush. People die on that road all the time. That's a horrible road. As a matter of fact, in my study of it, the road is actually called the way of blood. And it literally is a downhill slope. So Jerusalem sits at, at, at 1,200 feet above sea level and Jericho sits at 2,200 feet below sea level. So it is a downhill, 3,000 feet, winding, treacherous, narrow, hardcore road where bad things happen, yeah? So Jesus says he fell among robbers who stripped him of his clothes and they beat him 
and they, uh, they took all of his money and they left him half dead in the ditch. Everybody's like, okay, that's not a surprise. Yeah, that's what happens on that road. You get beat up, you get taken for everything you got. That's the way it goes. Then he says this, as it happens, there's a priest walking down the road. Now that's not uncommon. It's assumed that if you're coming from Jerusalem to Jericho, that you're a Jew. That's the way that that works. And if it's a priest, well, this is good news for everybody who's listening to the story, because that means that a priest who uh, just probably finished serving their time in the temple, they'd come up and they'd do a course at the temple where they'd serve for a week. He's walking down there. These guys were the, distrib the, the distributor of benevolence of the time. People would bring their offerings into the temple and the priests would disperse them to those in need. There wasn't a better guy to come along than this guy. But then Jesus said, then he saw him and passed over to the other side and walked on by. Now, this priest may have been keeping with the law because the law says that if you touch a dead body, I mean, this guy's already half dead. Maybe he's fully dead, but if I step over there and I help him and I touch him, then the people that I'm gonna go help in Jericho, I can't go there because I've gotta go back and I gotta do a ritual cleansing. I'd have to be seven more days in the temple. I'd have to go through seven more days of all that stuff. So that, that's gonna take a long time. And then that means I can't get to the people that I need to minister to because my job is in Jericho. And that's where I'm headed. And if I stop to help this guy, then I'm gonna violate the law and I'm gonna be late to where I've gotta go. Maybe I can't do it. And Jesus says, well, okay, a Levi is coming down the road. Now this was another good sign for the guy because the Levi, a lot of people call them the, the worship leaders, but the Levi's were the part of that set apart tribe. See, the priests were a direct descendant of Aaron who God ordained the bloodline to be the priest. But the Levites, that was a whole tribe that God set apart. And he said, you guys are gonna serve my temple. You guys aren't gonna have an inheritance in the land. I'm your inheritance. These guys made sure that the temple was clean. They made sure that the sacrifices went the way they did. They were in part of making sure that the worship experience happened. They followed the same rules as the priest. If I touch him, then I'm seven days unclean. I can't get to where I'm going. There's a bigger, more important group of people. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna skip this one to get to the mass so I can do my job, maybe. I don't know, it doesn't really say what the Levi's thinking, but I can tell you based on his job, this is probably some things that are going through his mind. I'm just too busy to reach down and help. And Jesus goes on to say, but there was a certain Samaritan and man, you probably could have heard a pin drop when Jesus says that. Here's why. The Samaritans, maybe you don't know this, but back in the time of Solomon, the kingdom was united. There was, everybody was, Israel was one nation, right? After Solomon is no longer king, the nation gets split. And there's a northern nation who makes their capital in Samaria and a southern nation that makes their capital in Jerusalem. So you have the nation of Israel, northern kingdom, and the southern kingdom. And what had happened with Samaritans is because of the idol worship that they had in the community, they were, they were overtaken by Assyria. And what Assyria does is they do a couple things. First of all, when they come in, they, 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 they take people out of their culture and they interbreed them with other cultures so that there's no pure bloodline of anything. But the remnant that was left 
the, the, the remnant that was left in the northern Israel, these guys, they, they married and inter, intermarried with uh, worship, idol worshipers. So the Samaritans were half Jews. They were despised by the Jewish people. If you read the Bible, you'll see that, you know, Jesus talks to a woman at the well. She's a Samaritan woman. And when the disciples come around, they're like, dude, what are you talking about the Samaritan woman for? We don't talk to Samaritan women, right? As a matter of fact, and you get another picture for it in Luke chapter nine, just the chapter before this one, that um, Jesus was planning a mission trip into Samaria. The, the disciples couldn't figure out why he always wanted to go to Samaria, but they're, they're, they're sending him into Samaria and these guys go in and what they cannot find is welcome anywhere. Nobody's got a room for him to rent. Nobody's got a place for him to stay. They didn't want the Jewish people in there. They didn't want Jesus in the town. And this is where James and John come back and they go, Master, we can't find anything in Samaria. I'll tell you what, you know what, what you, you want to, why don't we call fire down from heaven and just light them up? <laughs> that gives you a picture of how Jewish people saw the Samaritans. And here's Jesus telling this parable and all of a sudden this bomb is dropped. Boom. Your biggest enemy coming down the road, right? Riding on his donkey. Coming down the way of blood, sees the man. And I tell you what, here's, here's, a, here's a big point. This, because this is the big part of, of, of the Good Samaritan story that we all hang on to. These are the three things that we need to do. If we would do these three things, we would change the world, right? So what does it say? He says, uh, verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion and went to him and bound his wounds pouring on oil and wine. We have got to learn to see things, people in need, hurting people. We've got to be more aware of the people around us who need help. And if we'll, if we'll, if we'll just learn to see people and then be willing to have compassion. Now, this word compassion, I don't speak Greek, but I looked it up for you anyway. And we're gonna put it on the screen here because it, it's It's that word right there, S-P-L, spagnigzume, something like that. But I want you to see what this is. So compassion actually means to move as one bow, one's bow, hence to be moved with compassion. In other words, the inside, when he had compassion on him, his insides were twisting. He could not go help the guy. It was painful on a physical level, an emotional level, a spiritual level for this man to see somebody in that kind of pain. If we'll learn to see people and we'll learn to have the compassion that God has for us and then go to them. What, is it, what else did he do? He bound his wounds. He poured on him oil and wine. Uh, oil and wine. If we'll learn to see people, if we'll learn to have compassion on people, if we'll learn to go to where they're at, we'll change the world, guys. We'll change the world. But that wasn't enough. See, the Samaritan then picks him up and he puts him on his donkey. In other words, the wounded man is in his place now and 
he takes the place of the wounded man and he leads him all the way down the road to an inn. And he puts him in the inn and he gives the innkeeper two denarii and he says, take care of this guy. This should be enough, but if it's not, I gotta go right now, but I'll come back. And when I come back, I'll bring you the rest. I'm good for it, put it on my tab. Compassion above and beyond. Now, in this lawyer's mind, he can't get over the fact that it's a Samaritan that he's telling the story to. I'm positive. Because Jesus said, which one do you think was a neighbor? And this guy says, the, the, the one who showed him mercy. He couldn't even say Samaritan because there was so much hate. And Jesus is telling this story about us to do people for people that we hate. We don't even treat people we love that good. It was a tough pill to swallow. But in the words of Paul Harvey, let's see the rest of the story. There's more to it. See, the great thing about a parable is that we um, identify our place in it. When you hear a story, when you watch a movie, we always like to put ourselves in the role, right? So we've all seen ourselves. And as I've told this story to you again today, I'm quite sure that we've all kind of put ourselves, so we go, oh man, man, there's this, there was a time that that lady had a flat tire on the side of the road and I stopped and I helped her and that was a good Samaritan moment, right? I've been a good Samaritan, I've done that. And then we think, oh, well, gosh, you know, there's a time when I was the, when I was the, when I was the priest, right? I mean, I saw somebody in need, I saw, I saw somebody who needed my help and, and man, I was busy, I had other things to do and there was a bigger, there was a bigger plan that, that would have, this would have inhibited me from being able to do that and it would have been better for me to go ahead and do that and that's why I passed on that, right? I couldn't, I couldn't go help that person. Or we've been like the Levite and we're like, oh man, I was just so busy and if I, uh, I can't pause to do that. We've always see ourselves as one of those three places, right? But we, when we do that, we're really missing, I think, what Jesus was talking about in the story. You see, the, the only way that this story works is to see it through the gospel lens. You and I can never be the good Samaritan. Only Jesus can be the good Samaritan, right? And you and I, the only way that this works for you and I is we have to see the truth of the, of the story. And the truth of the story is that you and I are the ones in the ditch. You and, the, you and I are the ones who are in the ditch of our sin. You and I are in the ditch of our divorce. You and I are in the ditch of our hurt from church people. You and I are in the ditch of life because the road is treacherous, but only Jesus will come down from heaven and walk the way of blood. See you and I lost in our sin and our shame. Get off of his donkey. Come to us with his oil of the spirit of God and the wine of the blood of his forgiveness. Boundage our wounds. Take you and I out of the ditch. Put us in his place and carry us to a place of salvation. The gospel does not allow you and I to be the hero of the story. Only Jesus is the hero of the story. 
The best that we can hope for in this story is to be in the role of the innkeeper. Jesus does the saving. Jesus does the restoration. He poured his blood out. He poured his spirit out for all of us to be saved, to, be, uh, to have a place of salvation. And get, guess what? As the church, we get to be the innkeeper. Jesus brings us to us and he says, I've given you all that you need to take care of them. I want you to disciple them. I want you to train them. I want you to encourage them. I want you to love on them. And here, if it's not enough, I've got to go away, but I'm coming back. And when I come back, I'm going to bring my rewards with me. We have to see the story the right way. The lawyer knew there were steps that had to be taken. He was looking and he said, you know what? In order for forgiveness to happen, there's gotta be a priest. Jesus said, all right, there's a priest. Well, there's gotta be a temple. He said, all right, there's the guys who work the temple. He said, there's gotta be a, a whole sacrifice, a pure sacrifice. And Jesus said, okay, I'll be that, right? He's telling the disciple to keep these commandments is impossible for you to do. You can't do it. What he wanted for the, for the lawyer was for him to hit his knees and say, I can't do it. I need a savior. Because what he didn't realize was that he was talking to the high priest, that he was talking to the temple, that he was talking to the perfect sacrifice. And Jesus said, I'm all of those things. Through me, salvation happens. I'll put you in my place. I'll take you to a place of salvation. He didn't get it. Do we get it? Do we think it's all about what we do? You see, when we're in the ditch of our sin, when we're in the ditch of, of divorce, when we're in the ditch of, of, of words of people that we love that abandon us and we're alone, you know what can't reach you? Religion. The priest can't reach you. You know what can't reach you? The church can't do it. The only thing that'll get down and meet you where you're at. Pour out his blood of forgiveness. Pour out his spirit of anointing. Put you in his place. Only Jesus. He's always the hero of the story. Stand with me today. Romans 3, 21 through, 3, 3, 21 through 24 says this. Now we see how God does make us acceptable to him. The law and the prophets tell how we become acceptable. And it isn't by obeying the law of Moses. God treats everyone alike. He accepts people only because they have faith in Jesus. All of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. But God treats us much better than we deserve. And because of Jesus, Christ Jesus, he freely accepts us and sets us free from our sins. Ephesians 2, verse 1 through 10 says this, And you were dead in the trespasses of sin, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air, 
the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we by nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places of Christ, in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages we might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are in his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, for God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The law does not change your heart. Charles Spurgeon put it this way, what the law demands of us the gospel produces in us. The only way that we can see people the way that we need to see them, the only way that we can have compassion on people the way that we need to have compassion on them, the only way that we can reach people when we need to reach them is through Jesus. We can't do it on our own. It's impossible. Bow your heads for me. I wanna pray for you. Lord, help us to see us ourselves the correct way. Help us to see you, most importantly, the right way. Father, as we look at, at this story that we're so familiar with, Father, help us to see it the way that you intended it to be taught. Father, that we would get a deeper understanding, Father, that we would hear the gospel resonate from every word that you said. And the gospel is only Jesus. Thank you for joining us here today for this week's message. And here at Victory Church, we are called to equip people to live in His presence, move beyond ourselves, and be transformed. And this can only happen through your radical generosity, your serving, and your prayers. If this message or any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us by giving into this ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at victory.church give. Thank you again for joining us and have a great day.